This episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope. Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another fun and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. Normally that's Tom's line, but he has left me all high and dry. I believe that he is panning for pesos down the Yucatan somewhere. And last time I talked to him, oh, he had like three pesos, which is about 15 cents. Yeah, so yeah, it's not the most fruitful trip that he's made, but it's okay. But stepping in for him is Tina from Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Tina, hope things are going great. And, you know, we're, we uh, got a great interview this evening about some dyslexia and some of the complications and concerns that can go along with that. And so we're going to skip past all the other stuff that we normally do, the story you may miss and all that, and just kind of get back, just jump into the interview. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. I love how whenever Tom, you're not here, Tom has you off doing some sort of philanthropic <laughs> or <laughs> charitable work. You're either, you're trying helping baby penguins or right. something, all the things that he says you're doing. But whenever <laughs> Tom's not here, you've got him off trying to pan for gold. That's kind of funny. Yeah, it, it's Tom. So. <laughs> it's Tom. All right. Well, so I'd like to go ahead and just introduce Mike Matvey. Mike, first of all, I'd like to just introduce you just talk about you and who you are and start off with, I feel like there probably are, I think everybody's familiar with the term dyslexia, but I don't know that everyone has the right understanding of what it is. And just through knowing you through Mark and reading a lot of the things that you've, you've written and and hearing you talk about it, I've learned a lot that I didn't know before. So I'd like for you to share, um, your experience with dyslexia and what it really is so people can get a really good understanding of what what it is to be dyslexic or to, to have dyslexia and that sort of okay, thing. Okay, glad to do that. Yeah, I'm glad to be here with you, Ben and Tina. Well, the, the definition of dyslexia is basically an unexpected inability to read when all other conditions say that the person ought to be able to read. That's kind of a base, the basic definition. The main thing that causes problems for stu- people with dyslexia is inability to sound out and spell words fluently. People can learn how to sound out words, but they can't do it fluently. So. The, probably the biggest misunderstanding is that it, it is not a reading problem. This is not many people are going to say this to you, but I will. It's not a reading problem. It's a sounding out words problem. It's a 
inability to take the, the print word and make it say itself. And also inability to put words in print by spelling. So people with dyslexia, typically, I say, one of the things I say is they have an innate talent for reading because they have good language. When they hear words, they recognize the words. They know the meaning of words. They know how to put words together with other words to give more meaning and then how to put a bunch of words together to have a, an idea and how to, when they hear those words repeatedly, they can process them quickly, auditorily, by listening. So that's my view of dyslexia, which, and, and I think the main emphasis is that we need to understand the true nature of dyslexia, and that's the true nature of dyslexia. All right. I think that 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 there is has been a misconception by a lot of people, and maybe it is. Maybe you know we're we're not all exactly the same. So I I would I would imagine there are people who maybe have different experiences to an extent. But when it when you boil it all down, as you said, it is the it, it's someone have having a difficult time with looking at a word on on paper, and. Ha having that word translate into something meaningful in their brain. Yes, does that make does. sense? That's, that's it. <laughs> okay. For whatever reason, and some people say, well, the, the letters look backwards to me, or, you know, they have different ways of describing what it, what happens. But when it comes right down to it, no matter what it is, they're just, they see the word on the page and it doesn't as easily for most people, people it doesn't just automatically absorb into their brain and, and process right away it it's it's they have to really sit there and think hard about it and you just aren't going to be able to if you're expected to read fluently in a school setting you're never going to be able to keep up with your peers if they're able to just sit there and absorb it all like a sponge and and you and your brain doesn't work that way then you're going to be sitting there struggling the whole time. Whereas if you had a, a way of, if there was a way of teaching this person in, a, in an auditory way so that they can hear instead of having to read and absorb off the paper, they can hear it. And then immediately they know exactly what's going on. The words can talk. So is there a, a, is it a blanket term for dyslexia? Are there different types of dyslexia? Is it different for everybody? Or how does that kind of pan out? Well, I don't have the definition in front of me. It was what I've described to you. But it's a inability to process words at the, process language at the word level. That's the, I don't know about different variants. There's, but generally that what I described covers I think the last, I think it's 80% of the peop, people in special education have dyslexia. And of course, there's a whole, nowadays, we're getting more and more undiagnosed people with dyslexia. People who, who struggle to spell, who, who struggle to read quickly and easily. And, and uh, Tina, what you said there about being in the classroom where 
where others can do it easily, <laughs> that rings a bell <laughs> when you can't do it easily. And, and you know, there's a, there's a toll when a student is in the classroom day after day struggling to do what everybody else can do easily. Um, but that's the situation too often is that we don't use the accommodations that are available. And that's reading by listening. That's what I am working for, is to help people realize that their student could be moving from struggling in class to being at the top of the class. If they, were, if they take care of those two problems I described, sounding out words and spelling words. And there's a way to do that using assistive technology systems. Actually, it's, it's, I, I spoke to a group recently and I was saying it's not new technology. It's old technology because I said, how many of you in the room have popped your phone out and, and dictated a text message instead of typing it, and the hands went up. I said, you know, that's writing by speak. Then I said, well, how many of you in the room have read an audible book or listened to an email? And the hands went up again. I said, that's reading by listening. But we're having a problem because we're not seeing that that's what students in the in, in school need to be doing to to get them so they know everything that's been been covered in class we're quick to do that with people that need braille nobody hesitates and says well you know maybe let's let him let's let him practice some more before we start him on braille that's an excellent point yeah, it's it's a, it seems oftentimes in our society, if if, if there is a, a barrier, a challenge, a disability, whatever you want to call it, but it, you can't see it, you can't actually see it, that people don't want to acknowledge it exists, or they want to think that you can somehow overcome it. And you can just think your way out of it or practice your way out of it. We We see that a lot of times with mental health issues, with depression and anxiety. And people who don't struggle with those things will just think that people who do can just tell yourself to be happy or, you know, just tell yourself not to be anxious. And you just that it's it's like not understanding that there there is a physiological thing that's happening within your body and within your brain. And so with dyslexia and with lots of these types of disorders because they're different types. There are auditory processing disorders, which is almost the opposite of that, where someone, they can, you can talk to them and it, it comes out of your mouth. And by the time it gets into their brain, it's all gibberish. They don't understand what, they don't understand what you said. So all of these different types of people have to kind of figure out, you know, how they can survive in the world and they, they have to learn to accommodate themselves. They have to learn how to adapt. But if you don't, or if you don't have supportive family, and if you're not a resilient person, imagine what that really does to someone. And it, it, 
it makes me really sad to think about all of the children that go through school that are expected. You know, you have a school system that basically says, you know, we're not denying that dyslexia exists. We're just saying that we think that if you try hard enough, you can overcome it. And so we don't, they don't want to give up on you. It's not, it's like they're well-meaning, but it's, their thinking is so flawed and they're doing a lot of emotional and psychological damage to children who are becoming adults, who are have all these insecurities, who aren't able to, who think, who think they're, they aren't able to get through school. They think they can't graduate from college. They think college is not for me. And may, maybe they don't even understand why they think that. Maybe they just think, I'm just not smart enough. And it's not about smart. It's about you you can't do what you can't do. But if you if you have a way, which, and as you said, today's assistive technologies today with with in today's world, with the internet and with the ability to have text read aloud, and I listen to audiobooks all the time. Anyone should be able to, if it's just for you know, a matter of of dyslexia, anyone should be able to get through school and you know navigate through that and overcome this. They might not even recognize this because it's almost something that in school is not even talked about. So can you tell us what are some of the ways, take us back to your childhood. What, what was your experience like and how did you overcome it? Kind of take us through your childhood and how you progressed to where you were able to thrive and get past that. I started having problems in the first grade. And either the first grade the first time or the first grade the second time, because of course the failing, that's what we need to do, is, was apparently one of the strategies. But I started failing in the first grade because I couldn't read like everyone else. My mom took me to the local university for a psychological evaluation I think they must have thought I was mentally deficient. So had a psychological and the psychologist said, no, mental ability is not the problem. And he's got good mental ability. So there were, he said, we're sure he'll learn, he will learn how to read. Something will click and he'll learn how to read. That was the beginning of a struggle that went on for 18 years. Uh, mom, that's and actually that's that's what I call the false narrative. The the story that says he will learn how to read. I still see hear teachers tell students that, tell parents that that we can teach them how to read because we've got terrific programs. And that's what happened. For me, and it was pretty miserable time for 18 years. So I've got a lot of emotion about it and bad habits, <laughs> behaviors that my therapist says that were needed at that time. I needed those behaviors then. Well, I fixed the problems with dyslexia after 18 years when I was actually. The way that happened is that I was—I went to the reading clinic every summer to to improve my reading skills. 
And when I got into college, I continued to go to the reading clinic. I had a math major completed, but I couldn't pass a class that required reading. I failed English composition three times in American history twice. So I'm, I'm, I managed to flunk out. Actually, I took a, my rule was don't take a class that requires reading unless you've already flunked it because I could do the math. You always got the better grade and you lost the other grade. And if one F cancels and I get the other F, it doesn't change my GPA. So I managed to stay in college for a few years, even though I had not passed a class that required reading. But I had a, I actually, a friend of mine and I went to Mexico on a motorcycle, had nine flat tires coming back. We were late getting registered. And in a weak moment, I signed up for another class that required reading. That caused me to flunk out. I, I went to work on the river and... Did well, loved it out on the river, worked on towboats, got a tankerman's license, got a license to become a pilot, but I wanted to be able to read. So I said, this is the, this is the part that's hard to, hard to believe for me to just think about because it's logical. So I, I'm out on the river doing well, but I want to go back to college. I want to learn how to read. I said, okay, I'm going to go back. This time I'm going to take reading full-time for a semester, all day work on reading. Make up for all those times I didn't take my book home, times that I didn't try hard enough. That's, that was the logic. It makes, it's logical. <laughs> the only thing is, it's based on the false narrative. The narrative, like you said, you, you can you tell people they can do it. Well, you know, that was what happened. I kept trying and went back. And then after a semester of that with Dr. Hunt, the, the, the person in charge, he had been, I'd been working with him for a number of years in the clinic there. He was working on teaching me how to read. After a semester of that, he said, he, he asked to meet with me and he said, Mike, this is not going to work. You're going to have to come up with something else. Well, the, it was like the rug was pulled out from under me. Even Dr. Hunt is, is not with me anymore. So I was adrift. I had, had signed up for a public speaking class. I was, had always done public speaking. It went well. However, when I got to the class, it was an advanced class. And it required a transcript of your talk. So I said, oh my, what am I going to do? Can't spell, can't write. I complained about that. And a friend of mine said, well, Mike said, listen, why don't you deliver your speech? I'll write it out. And you can turn that in for a transcript. I said, okay. That's my friend Debbie. So I did that and did well on the, in the class. Later, I was called to come down and meet with an English teacher, the, the chairman of the department. 
because she had seen that speech, the written, the transcript. So I thought, I know what that's about. She was one of the people who flunked me. <laughs> so she, I, I said, I know what that's about. She saw the speech and she said, I know this guy. He can't write like this. <laughs> but she called me in and laid the speech out and said, what's, what's this? So I told her exactly what it was. She said, well, I know you from class. I remember you did well in class, and I was so surprised when you didn't pass the essay, at the, the final essay, which was required. So we talked a little more, and she said, I think we need to do something different. She said, uh, what I'd like to do is have you sign up for English Comp again, but this time, when it's time to do your essays, do it like you're doing your, your, your transcripts. Have Debbie write them out. So that's what I did. Made an A in, in English comp. So that was, that was the turning point. That was the time I could, I, I, I didn't, I was, I, I couldn't keep using the false narrative because Dr. Hunt told me this is not going to work. So I did that. Then I still had classes that required reading. What was I going to do about those? Now, I remembered something my mom had said years ago, and it was that she said, Mike, your problem is not being able to read the book. She said, why don't you take your textbook up to Dottie James, friend of ours who loved to read. She said, Dottie will read the book for you. I said, oh no, I can't do that. If I do that, I'll never learn to read. And I didn't do it. But now, what have I got to lose? So I thought Dottie wasn't available then. She had passed. She had died since then. But I thought I, I will ask Debbie if she will record some parts of books for me and re record a chapter in the textbook for me. She agreed. I got set up in the basement of the library in a reel-to-reel -reel tape deck. Debbie would come in and thread up the tapes and record a chapter. I'd come in later, and at that time, I called it listening to the chapter. I now call it reading by listening, and then go to class. Um, it was an earth science class. And after four or five weeks, I'm going, I'm knocking the top out of the class. And I'm going, college is easy when you can read the book. <laughs> so that's some of my story about what happened for me. Tom, you still get to use that Echo Core digital stethoscope, man. Every day, and every day I listen through it, I'm so glad I'm listening to what I am sure is the best way to hear my patients' breath and heart sounds. Hey, absolutely, man. I truly, truly use it every single day, and I love that 40-time amplification. I love the noise cancellation, so I can't hear anything else going on around me. I can just focus on the breath sounds and the heart sounds and the bowel sounds of the patients that I'm listening to. Ben, I would be using an echo stethoscope even if they weren't a sponsor of our show. It does Bluetooth to your phone. They do have an app that now is detecting AFib and 
you know, my daughter had a little run of SVT or had some concerns of SVT. I was able to actually capture a recording with my Echo device on my phone so that we had that in, in the event that we needed it. So, I mean, again, wonderful piece of equipment. Go check them out. It's echohealth.com, E-K-O-Health.com. Use code JSP. Gives you $50 off your order. Let's know that we sent you. Ben, have you been having any aches or pains? Every day. <laughs> well, you know what, Ben? I haven't been having them as much. You know why? I've been using CBD stat products. And see, I need to get back into that because my knees have been bothering me. I'm sure it's the cold weather and just being old and flu season and all that other stuff. So, yeah, it, it, when I have used them in the past, it's always worked great. I did use some last night because my knees were just really bugging me. Use that roll up. Ben, CBD stat products are some of the strongest on the market. They're made by healthcare professionals with healthcare professionals' mind. They are THC free. They are legal in all 50 states. And honestly, Ben, they are some of the best pain relieving products I've ever used. And they love their healthcare people. So if you're in healthcare, they want to give you a permanent 40% discount. I'm going to repeat that for you. It's a permanent 40% discount. Go to cbdstat.care slash healthcare. Fill out that form, they can give you that 40% off. Now, they know that some of our listeners, you're not in healthcare, they still want to help you out because you're listening to Tom and I right now. So if you go to their website, you put everything in your cart. Tom, what code can they use? JSP20. That's right, JSP20. It's going to give you 20% off your order just because you're listening to Tom and I right now. Go check them out. CBDstat.care. You know, I really, I love that story. And I, I, the reason I love it is I, I love how you overcame that. And it makes me really sad at the same time, because just thinking of there, there's really no telling how many people are in this world who have gone through that same experience, but did not, didn't have the resources that you had, that didn't have all the right people fall in the right place. That, that instructor at that school, she changed your life by doing that. She recognized it. What a wonderful teacher, instructor. She, I love teachers like that because they think outside the box. They don't, they're not stuck in this one rut that says everyone has to be exactly the same. We have to all do the same thing. And you're not going to be, you're not successful if you don't look like your neighbor. You know, we, we're all different and we can all be successful in different ways and success looks different for different people. And so I, that story is amazing. And that's why I wanted you to share it. But then also, you have developed an app to help children who are or anyone who is wanting to learn and and is struggling with with reading. Can you tell everybody about this app that you developed? Uh, Yes, be glad to. It's called Audio Exam. And it is a an app that will let a teacher well, first, I guess I need to back up and talk about read aloud testing. And that is a, a, an accommodation that people need sometimes for, for, so they can show what they know on tests. Typically, the way that's done is the teacher will say, come on over, Billy, sit down here. I'm going to read your test to you. Or they'll call them out of class. Or when there's a lot of testing being done, I've heard stories of everybody's testing the reading test for the kid, including the janitor. Hooray for the janitor, along with everybody else. But it's a huge responsibility for teachers. And it's something needed for students 
but the way we're doing it typically is problematic. It's it's I personally I use I use read aloud for testing, and it's it's difficult because you you have to if you think about it, and the way you read a test, you will read a question, you may jump down and read the third choice and think maybe that's it, but then you'll go ahead and read the whole thing. There's a strategy to that. That's very difficult to do when you've got a person there who's 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 overworked and trying to get through this just to give you the minimum. So I said, well, there's got to be a better way. And so the better way is this app that, uh, that I've created, and it's been on the App Store since 2011. And what that what this app does is lets a teacher take say a twenty minute, a twenty question quiz, record that one time. It takes about seven minutes for a person to record a say a twenty question multiple choice quiz. When they're finished with it, they can hit a button and it goes to the cloud. A student can be somewhere in the building, actually can be somewhere anywhere in the world, and download that quiz, have it appear on their device, and then they can, they can read the question, that is, play it and hear the question being read. They can move back and forth in the question, read it over, read it as many times as they want to. They can speed it up, slow it down. And the teacher has only spent seven minutes recording it. The student can use the use it. We can use it with as many students as we need to. And students can have more control over reading their tests for themselves instead of feeling like they have to have somebody come in and read it to them. So that's the... Yeah, and then I would think that would cause added pressure too in that setting. Somebody's sitting there reading and then you're you're almost having to perform in front of them. It's like you're taking the test right in front of someone and feeling this extra pressure of them like waiting for you to answer the question and you don't want to act like you're struggling. And so that would remove that whole dynamic as well. That's a good point. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my, that's a contribution I'm trying to make to the whole situation to get people, get students so they are reading fluently, reading by listening fluently. I think, it, it, you know, in thinking about it, it's, it's hard to understand why this would be such a big deal in this day and age. Why would it be such, you know, technology the way it is? Why... Why does it bother teachers so much or the this the school system in general? You know, why does it bother them so much that that there might be some children that reading in a, in the traditional sense is just is not it does not work for them. But cuz like you said if you if if you if you can't see, if you don't have your sight, then you can't be expected. You cannot be expected to to learn to read in that traditional sense. But but they just can't accept that there could be another barrier, yes. I guess. Well, and there's, we've, we've really come a, a long way since I was in school because when I was in school, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a term called dyslexia or learning disability or special ed. So we've come a long way. When it comes to students and reading, 
we're to me we've not gone far enough in that as you as you said people aren't don't understand that students need to do it some students need to do it a different way we're still and one of the big things that is keeping us from moving in the direction that would have students reading fluently by listening is mentioned the false narrative the it's it's the you you were saying that people don't understand dyslexia but and part of that is they believe the false narrative they believe that students with dyslexia can learn to read they can because we've got terrific programs and we do have some terrific programs that will help students read but the research shows that students cannot well, I guess one. Let's see if I can quote Sally Shea, which she's the one of the main researchers on dyslexia. And the quote that I remember is, "No one has figured out how to overcome the lack of fluency." As a consequence, for children and adults with dyslexia, instead of it being rapid and automatic, reading is slow and effortful. So the research shows. It's clear on that, and she, Sally Shaywitz says in her book, we can teach them to to read accurately. That is to be able to sound out words, but not fluently. I think what happens is that in 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 programming for students, when we discover they've got a disability, we are quick to to come in to to help them, and we want to help them in every way we can, but we think that the way to help them is to teach them how to read, and we think we're going to be able to teach them how to read. I say that there's the, the problem is, to me, is the, what I call the half-truth and the false narrative. And the half-truth is when as soon as a student is diagnosed, the reading specialist will meet with them and they'll tell them about the terrific programs and how well they work, and they'll say, your child is going to learn how to read, even though they've got dyslexia. What the reading specialist is, will say is, we can teach your child to read. That is, we can teach them to sound out words. And over, year, over the years, they'll get better and better at sounding out words. And eventually, they'll get so they can sound out all words. That's the... That's what this reading specialist means. But the parent does, but they don't explain that. They don't say that the research shows that reading remains effortful for the brightest people with histories of dyslexia. They don't tell them that. So what does the parent think? Parents thinks my child's going to learn how to read. That's good news. That means they're going to be able to read like everyone else. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. And if you put that expectation on them, you're just going to put them in an, a setting where their self-esteem is going to be torn down and they're going to just they're going to just feel like they're not good enough and they're going to focus on that as opposed to focusing all of the on all of the great things about them and what they can do and focusing on what they can do, and what their strengths are instead of focusing so much on a weakness, which everyone has weaknesses when you have this this situation where the pub, the the school system the way it's set up and it's been this it's been the same since its infancy it's that's just the way the school system has always been they they believe in 
you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And if if you're not, they, they, they think everyone should be able to do those basic fundamental things, and yet you have to teach that to everyone. And if the, a child doesn't, if a child resists that in some way, they're lazy, they don't want to do it. And the, to the child, the child knows that they're not lazy. They So to them, if they're thinking in, the, in their mind, I know I tr- I'm trying, so I'm not lazy. They think I'm lazy. I know I'm just really not smart enough to be able to do it, is what they think yeah, in their mind. I think so. I think also the, I mean, actually the lazy part for me, that rings a bell, <laughs> Tina. That's one of the things, the messages that I, I got was I didn't, I wasn't trying hard enough and and it was my fault. Really, that's the part of it. I, I was, I, I'm reminded of a time I observed a teacher. And I, I spent years working with students in the school system and I didn't, when they'd be identified, then I'd do evaluations and I'd start teaching them how to use audio books and so forth. I got a referral and was at a school and a teacher wanted me to see another student read. This a student who's had, had a reading problem. I, I rem, This is hard to tell. The teacher was standing over the student and saying, now, okay, read this and prompting the student to read the next word and, okay, and saying things like, okay, now, now you know that word. You know that. You, you, you read that for me yesterday. You know that word. And the kid is struggling. And I, and I guess a part, it gets back to this idea of learn, knowing the true nature of dyslexia. I feel like I saw, I saw what that kid was experiencing. That kid did not know that word. The kid might have known, got the word yesterday, might have guessed it yesterday, but right now when the student is looking at that, at that set of letters, he's not doing like you said, immediately popping out what the meaning of it is, what the word is. So that's the kind of pain that kids go through is when there's somebody's there telling them they can do it when the reality is they cannot do it. That's the that's a hard thing to to live with day after day in school when when you when people tell you you can do something but you really can't and after a while you get to believing it you get to believing that you're not trying hard enough that's the problem so it's it's hard to to realize that that's happening, but that is happening. I work in family practice, and of course, for our audience, that's a lot of what we see, you know, or we deal with is nurse practitioners and PAs that see patients. For, in your opinion, from a family practice standpoint, is there anything that we should be looking for or try to recognize? I, obviously, a lot of this is going to occur in the schools that we're not in, directly involved with, but is there anything that we can do in the clinic side to screen, look for, anything like that to try to help? catch this before it gets to that college point? Well, probably the the main thing is to understand more about what dyslexia is and that it's, uh, that's probably the biggest thing to understand that it's, that people and and people will hide it uh, because it's shameful for people that experience it. It's one, 
People are ashamed of it, that they can't read like others. Now, are you thinking of adults or children or both? Just, just kind of in general. I mean, I was, I was more thinking children, but, but yeah, just kind of in general. Well, I tell you, it's hard, it's hard to be hard to diagnose because there are conditions where people don't read adequately that may or may not have to do with dyslexia. Well, and I guess from the way I was looking at it in my, from my perspective would be, you know, we see kids who come in and their parents bring them in and say, well, they're having trouble in school. And so then we'll do, you know, an ADHD screening on them or things of that nature. And so then is this child potentially getting misdiagnosed with ADHD and getting put on medication when in fact there's actually something else like dyslexia going on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So your setting again, tell me more about what that setting is. So I work family practice. So I see patients from birth to the elderly and very, very much like a family physician would. Uh And then I see patients, I prescribe medications, order. Okay abs, things of that nature. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. So you'd have an opportunity to see and get the backstory and of what's going on in the family. And, and yeah, re- I guess the, probably the biggest thing that I could think of here is, is if you're seeing a student who, or a person who's got good verbal ability and has got good comprehension, then you should expect that that person can use print in the same way. So, for instance, well, a, a, you know, a kind of a quick screening here would be to, for, for writing, would be to see if the kid can tell you a story. And then, then ask the student to take a pencil and, and write down part of the story and see if that that can be done. By the same token, you could a uh, light screening would be to ask the student to bring, have one of their book, their school books, and ask them to read from that book. And then uh, another sample would be for you to read a paragraph from that book and ask them to tell you what it said, what it was about. I usually say, "What's it about?" and "What it say." to see if they can tell you the what the paragraph was about and then if they can give you any details. So that's a, a kind of a light. If you get to suspecting something, that's something I could suggest. Now for writing, I, there's a couple of stories I guess I'd tell you about or the, the, about how that I talk with people about sometimes and it's that if you've got a kid that can tell a great story around the dining room table, you've got a kid that can write a story, but people don't think that's writing. If you, for instance, tell him, okay, it was a great story. Now I want you to record this, or I want you to use, take your, get your phone out, put it in uh, uh, voice memo mode or it, well, either voice memo mode to record it actually, or you can go right into dictation mode and dictate the story and then turn that in as your paper the next day. That's the kind of thing that can be done. If we get, if you get a person who can do that and they've not been diagnosed, they may be a person who's um, an undi- have dyslexia but undiagnosed. 
I often ask people if they use audiobooks it were for adults, you know, and, and, and a lot of times they say, oh, yeah, I like audiobooks. But, but do they read books? Visually, they don't read books because it's such a labor. And it's not, I, I, it's not, books are not written for you to sound out words as you go along. That's not, it's supposed to be language. It has to flow. It has to be, it has to be done rapidly and automatically, as Sally Shaywitz says. Yeah, when you think about it, when you read, you don't you don't actually sit there and read one word at a time. Your mind almost absorbs two, three words at this at the, at at once as you're just kind of flowing through a sentence. I read, I like to read books, but I also love audiobooks. When I discovered audiobooks, my reading went out the window because I was just like, this is so much better. I love to listen to people tell stories, I, especially if they're really good at it. And I love British accents, so the if I can find a a good book with a British accent, I'm just like, I'll just listen to that. I get you get the best of all the worlds to me but yeah that's it makes sense if 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 you if you have someone that you can teach them to sound out words and so therefore you think well you should be able to read because you can sound out words well you might be able to sound out each word but that's not necessarily reading because if and and I think people just take it for granted I think if you can do it it's something you take for granted I mean you can't make somebody's pancreas make insulin you can't just go try harder. You're, you know, you've got a kid who has, who has juvenile diabetes, type one diabetes. And, you know, then somebody brings their eight year old in there and they're just like, something's happened. Like she's like, she's peeing all the time. And we don't know what's, what's, what's wrong. She's something's off here. And then you're just like, Ooh, okay. So these symptoms are kind of sounding like, Hmm. So you run some tests and you're like, well, we're thinking that your daughter might have diabetes, type 1 diabetes. And that means your pan- her pancreas, unfortunately, and it's a congenital condition. It's You're just born like that. And your pancreas doesn't work. You can get another, you know, you can get a pancreas transplant at some point, possibly, if you're really, 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 really lucky and want to risk that. But other than that, you're just going to have to take insulin. And thank goodness we have that technology or we would have a lot of people who would die, right? (laughs) And you can't just say, you know, just, you know, I love the fact about the blind person and teaching them Braille. I use this analogy a lot, you know, with insulin and the pancreas because I feel like people can understand that and relating it to mental health issues with depression and anxiety and like you can't will yourself to fix a part of your body that just for whatever reason there's something just not quite wired the way it's supposed to be no i i use that analogy all the time with the exact same thing with depression you know because patients say well I, I, I don't want to be you know i don't want to take these depression medications or these anxiety medications I say, well, would you say that if you were diabetic? Well, no. I'm like, well, this is this condition is no different than diabetes, other than it's affecting a different part of the body. Yeah. Well, the the speed issue here is something. I guess let me mention a couple things. Well, one is you're talking about when you read, you don't sounds like you you don't look at words or you look at words but you're not thinking about words that's the thing you're doing it so fast it is because it as 
as has been said, it's rapid and automatic. It becomes, you don't think about it. And I, I guess an example for me, and I'm, I'm a pretty slow reader, and, but I can read push and pull. And I can spell push and pull. Let's see, I think I can. Yeah. But when I walk, just give you an example of the speed issue, how important it is to have speed. When I walk up to a door where it's got push and pull, as I'm walking up, I can't process that fast enough to know what to do. So I just walk up and push and pull and <laughs> go through the door. So that's an example, I guess, of, of how, how important the speed is in reading. When you're, of course, when you're reading long passages, you need to be able to read the entire sentence and have it all held in your brain so you can look at it and think about it and before you go on to the next sentence. So it's, speed is the important factor that people don't see. In, re in, in the reading problem. Yeah, that is. It's fascinating. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. You are working on developing a podcast as well, um, right, Mike? I'm thinking about it. You're helping me out here to give me a chance to get figure out how to get the <laughs> Can get I get your feet wet. Yeah. <laughs> are you, is it going to be along this line do you think or what what kind of subject matter well oh yeah it would be about, about it would be about dyslexia and accommodations that's the area that i i work in and uh yes so that's what that'd be I think that would be really a, a great topic for a podcast. And I think the, a lot of people that there are a lot of people out, people out there. I know there are a lot of parents who have children with dyslexia that when you're, when you're a parent, you do, you struggle so much with knowing the right, you don't know what the right thing to do is. Are you, is it the right thing? Especially if you have a professional tell you, no, he can definitely read. Just keep trying. He'll do it. Well, then as the parent, you don't want to be irresponsible and not listen to the professional. So you think you're supposed to push your child to do this. And then 20 years later, they're grown. And you look back and you go, was it right? Did I do the wrong thing? Because now they can maybe sound out words, sort of, but not even to enough, not even enough to be able to, to, to get through school. But Look at what all look what we've done to his self esteem or her self esteem, and is it worth the damage? Well, and then the loss on the loss of intellect. The the um, typically people with dyslexia have lose vocabulary. Their vocabulary growth is stunted. It's it's it doesn't grow like it normally does up to the point where they get to school. IQ scores tend to go down, and general knowledge is they lose general knowledge while other kids are getting it. Another issue that's related to this is that prison populations have, instead of about 15 to 20 percent of the population having dyslexia, which is what you'd expect, in prison populations, the, dyslex the, populate, the dyslexias People with dyslexia make up 47% of that population. Oh, wow. That's telling. That is telling, isn't it? Some mm -hmm. states survey their third grade classes to, to get reading scores, 
in order to predict how many prisons to build in, in 15 or 20 years. So that's a, it is a serious problem. Yeah, which if you could just look at that and if we could learn from that, what well, what could we do to overcome this problem? If we, if the if if you go all the way back to the problem, and that is the 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 fact that there is some sort of disconnect between t- taking the information off the page and putting it into their brain. What other ways can we? get information into their brain because if they're not able to do that with reading then all their peers around them are doing that then they are advancing in ways that like what you were saying they're learning more vocabulary they are increasing their iq they're learning all of this information from these from books from reading from reading everywhere reading uh, you know the teachers put things up on the board to to read there's Schools are full of words everywhere. They are teaching children all the time by that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then there is no alternative for, for children that don't have the ability to learn that way. So if they're missing out on all of that information, so then by the time they get to, so you, they're, not, they're not only missing out on all that information and like just have, are at a disadvantage um, from their peers, but then also just the tearing down of their self-esteem and their self-worth and who they are. They, they focus so much on their deficiency and their inability to do something that they don't ever get to focus on what they're good at. Well, I really appreciate you for coming on and... If you guys know of some someone that's struggling with this and you want to see the app is called Audio Exam and it's on the App Store and I believe they're working on an upgraded version of it that's going to do all kinds of fancy yes. stuff. It'll, it'll, it'll run on. <laughs> it'll be available on most all platforms. The new one. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it's really exciting. If you guys have any questions about it, you can send me an email at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. and you can also find me on social media at goodnursebadnurse. And tell them where they can find you and well, Tom. If you're looking for Tom and I, I don't know why, but if you are, we're at justsomepodcast.com or Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. And also we'll continue to monitor on all social media platforms. Great. Pleased to meet you, Ben awesome. and Tina. Good to see you. Yeah. You too, sir. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess we'll see you next time. And oh, I guess I need to remind you, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Practice swearing just to pass the time. Lately I see why I am alone. I caught some road bridge and I thought of you. And all the many times you say I should have known. Took a press so I could find my cheek Find mediocrity's the best that I could do Thank you.